we look back towards Calvary. And it stirs our heart. We look back towards Calvary and we see hope. We see salvation. We see grace. But this morning, we go to the book of Matthew, the 26th chapter. And we look from the perspective that Christ is looking forward to that cross. He understands on Monday, Thursday, that he is going to give his life. And so he he directs his disciples there in verse 19 of Matthew 26. He says, go and prepare for the Passover. And the disciples go out to the upper room and they make ready. It's a normal Passover for them. It's nothing unusual. They go through it as they've gone through it year after year all their life. But in the heart and in the soul of Christ, our Savior, he knew this would be his last. He knew the pain and the agony that was to follow. And so as they sat and came together, And not really sat, they lay down. They were laying towards the table. They're eating the Passover meal. And Jesus took the bread that was there on the table. And he said, this is my body that will be broken. And he blessed it. But you know, as I look at that passage of Scripture, I realize that Paul tells us to prepare ourselves. And this morning, as the disciples came together, and as they prepared themselves for that meal, we'll prepare ourselves in a special way. And as our deacons come forward, may we prepare our heart and minds together. As you reflect upon your life today, And upon your spiritual journey, are you serving him the way you ought to? As you look and allow the Spirit of God this morning to move through your soul and your being, as he brings from the very depths of your soul, do you understand what God is speaking and saying to you? Has he shown you that word that you should never have spoken? Has he shared with you your rebellion to his spirit and to his leadership? As God speaks to you today, shall we pray? Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we enter into these moments to stand and to prepare ourselves before you. Now, Father, we ask that your spirit come into our life and reveal all that is there. Father, as we go through the last weeks, the last month, Lord, there are things in our lives that we know are wrong. We know that are in disobedience to you. We know that we ought to make them right. And Father, in these moments, as you reveal that to us, may we confess that sin. May we confess that 
deception. May we confess that betrayal. May we confess those words of anger and of pain and of hurt. May we look upon you this day as our Savior and Lord and confess that in your holy sanctuary. Father, forgive us. Forgive us, Lord. Cleanse us. Give us a new spirit. Give us a new direction. Give us the power of your spirit. For this we ask and pray in your name. Amen. And that night he took the bread and he blessed it. And he said, this is my body. Shall we share together? That night he took the bread and he blessed it. And he said, take, eat. This is my body broken for you. And that same night he took the cup and he blessed it, shall we pray. Father, we ask now that you bless this cup, the blood of the New Testament that would be sacrificed, that would be spilled on Calvary's hill, that would forgive us of all our sins and would make us whole. Father, may we take this cup and remember that New Testament, that new covenant, that new promise given by Christ our Lord. Amen. No longer an outcast. No longer burdened by sin. No longer without power and no longer without love because of the blood. Take, drink ye all of it. Father, for this time and for this moment, we thank you. Use these times for thy honor and glory. Amen. They shared those moments together. And as they shared those moments together, the evening got late. It was about 11 or 12 o'clock. And the, 12, the 11 of them moved out from the upper room and made their way across the ravine over to the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives... was a large area, and at the very base of it was a place called Gethsemane. And there was the olive press. They would gather all the olives, and they would bring them down there, and they would press the oil out. It was a favorite place for Jesus to go and pray. And on this particular night, he makes his way with the eleven, to this very quiet place. And as you look at scripture, you realize that in this place that is now gated, that he leaves eight of his disciples at the gate. 
These are disciples. They had been with Jesus for three years. But for some unknown reason and for only what we can speculate, these disciples were asked to stay and to pray. They may not have fully understood all that Jesus had said for those three years. They were still looking for a king. They were still looking for the Messiah. They were still looking for someone that would relieve them of the domination of the Romans. They were looking for someone that would lead them out of all the frustrations and the disappointments that they had shared. They were disciples. But they were still holding on to that idea of a kingdom. And even that very night, (coughs) even that very night, they got into a discussion and some say an argument over who was going to be the greatest. And God takes those, Jesus takes those moments in which they're arguing over the greatest and he teaches them once again there in Matthew the 26th chapter about what it is to be a servant, to be a servant. They may not have fully understood. They may have been looking for the wrong thing. And Jesus asked them to pray, and they're sleepy. They've been up all day, and now they find themselves in a quiet place, and they fall asleep. When my dad got saved, I was about eight years of age, and my brothers were six and five. And when my dad got saved, he got saved from the top of his head to the sole of his feet. He read his Bible, he studied, he took courses, he did everything. And at 9 o'clock every night, it didn't make any difference if Bonanza was on. It didn't make any difference what was on the television. At 9 o'clock at night, you knew my dad was going to call us boys together, and he was going to read Scripture, and we were going to get down on our knees, and we were going to pray. Dad was going to pray, and he loved to pray. 10, 15, 20 minutes. He covered everything around the world. And we did what? We went to sleep. Okay. And when it came our turn, it was the elbow. Okay, to jog you up and wake you up. I can understand why the disciples fell asleep. They had no idea of the battle that was taking place. They had no concept. And as I look at Christianity today, I realize that many of us fail to understand and be able to focus that there was a battle going on that was greater than all of Mount Olympus, that was more powerful than the Battle of the Bulge. It was more intense than Gettysburg and the charge by picket across the field being slaughtered by the hundreds. It was intense. It was as intense as Black Hawk Down. There as the rangers were in the city, and helicopters over the head and firing on the ground. It was intense. Men were dying. And in this garden place, Jesus was embattled. He was in a conflict. And the disciples had no idea what was going on around them. And so they ate, went to sleep. I realize that many times we don't understand there's a battle going on. And I understand that many times we're unaware of the fight that is happening even in our pews, even in our homes, even in our nation. 
Men and women fighting the demons of drug addiction and sexual addiction and depression and ambition and pride. Paul understood. In the book of Romans, the seventh chapter, notice what he says. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the laws of my mind and making me a prisoner of the laws of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul says what? There was a war going on. There's a war going on in Paul. And there was about to take place in Gethsemane a battle that men and women could never understand. It was intense. It was powerful. But the eight left at the gate meant that three were to be on watch. He took Peter and the sons of Zebedee, James and John, who were called what? The quiet ones, the meek ones, the sons of thunder. You have to wake up every now and then, okay? <laughs> These three were the ones that went to the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. And what did they see? They saw Jesus transform before their eyes, and they saw Elijah. They saw those that they knew nothing of. And Moses, they had seen the power of God in force. They had been called upon to, to watch and wait. 36 times Christ instructs his people, watch, be aware, be alert. Because there's an internal storm. Notice what it says there in verse 39. He begins to be sorrowful and troubled. He is in a conflict that only God could understand. There's a battle going on between the spirit and the flesh. And Christ was engaged in it. But notice one other thing. That it left Jesus saying to the three, pray. Pray that what's getting ready to take place is in the will of God. And Jesus leaves the three and he goes a little bit further. Some say about a stone's throw away. The eight are at the gate. The three are here within a stone's throw of Christ. And when Christ comes, he does what? He falls on his face. He's on, his, on the ground in such intense power and in such intense agony that scripture there in Luke says he looks as if he is sweating drops of blood. Notice that passage of scripture there in Luke, the 22nd chapter, verse 43. He says, Now the angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. And when he arose from his prayer, he came to his disciples, those that loved him, those that said, I'll do anything for you, and he found them sleeping. 
it was an intense battle between the Spirit of God and the flesh of Jesus. What am I going to do? They're going to betray me. Even these that come with me tonight will run and hide. Who will stand with me? I must stand alone. The flesh says this is going to be painful. The flesh says this is going to be agony. And he says, not my will, but thine be done. Spiritual struggle pushes us to pray, oh my father, pray as we never prayed before. Prayer that comes from the very, very most secret place of our being. Notice that Jesus went to a secret place to pray. Do you have a room that you go to? Do you have a place that you can close down and the kids won't come and beat on it? I had a Facebook post by one of my cousins. She's a school teacher. And she says, why in the world can I even find peace in the bathroom? She's got two kids that are pounding on the door, okay? And of course, she said, when my husband gets in there, I'm going to make sure that I pound on the door. But you know, there ought to be a secret place that we go. That we can be alone with God. And that we can commune with him and he can speak to us. Jesus found that place. And as scripture says, he went there every night during this time. He prayed after the high emotion of Palm Sunday and the lows of the betrayal. Because you see, where is Judas during this time? Where is the treasurer? Where is the one who walked with him? Where is the one that viewed the miracles that he performed. Jesus knew where he was. Jesus knew what he was doing. And in this agony, he was being betrayed. Have you ever been betrayed? Has someone ever betrayed you? Did your parents betray you? Did your husband or your spouse betray you? Have your children betrayed you? Have you been betrayed by a government? Have you been betrayed by your boss? It is painful. Jesus was being sold to those that hated him. Spiritual, uh, spiritual struggle pushes us to surrender. You know, it's difficult to surrender. In Acts, the 26th chapter, verse 28, Agrippa says to Paul after Paul's <laughs> preached to him, what? Almost you persuade me. Almost. Lord, I'll go, but, you know, maybe a little bit later. Lord, I'll serve on that committee, but maybe next year. Lord, I'll give you all that I can give, but, you know, I need that condo. I need to give it to my kids. Yeah, your kids need it, right? My kids need it. We want to give them something. God says, give it to me. Follow me. Surrender your service. And he also said what? Let those that sleep, sleep. Because you see, when you surrender, some people are not going to like that. You have to walk in and tell your wife, we're selling everything we have, and we're moving to Fort Worth, Texas, and we're going to seminary. And she's going to go, are you out? 
David. Has changed. They had to walk in one day and say, I'm leaving Alabama. I'm leaving Auburn. I'm leaving Alabama. And I'm going to Texas. Have you been to Texas? It's hot. Sticky. Big. But when you surrender to God, you're going to say what? It may be Fort Worth. It may be Canada. It may be Korea. It may be Europe. It may be Israel. I surrender. Are you struggling this morning? Are you at that fork in the road? Do you have a challenge that seems bigger than you ever could imagine? Are doubts in your mind that will not let loose? Do you have a thorn in the flesh that will not go away? Did you make a wrong turn and think that you never can get back? God says, surrender to me. Fall on your face and plead before God. And he says, A, he'll forgive you. B, he will come into your life and he will work a miracle. Surrender is not easy because it's not painless. Others may disagree with your decisions. Surrender brings peace. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, I do not give to you as the world gives. Surrender means taking our eyes off others and focusing completely upon God and his will for our life. Jesus at that particular moment in the Garden of Gethsemane put away the flesh, put away his disciples, put away his heritage, put away the priests and the Pharisees and Sadducees. And he focused on the Father, and he gave everything, and he says, Your will be done. Not mine, not my disciples, not everybody that's gathered around. I'm going to follow you and do what you want in my life. This morning, you come, and you need to make that prayer. You need to make that commitment this morning. Would you stand with me as we close? Would you read with me on the, on the screen? Because you see, this is my prayer, and I hope it's your prayer. Shall we read together? There are things inside of me that I believe God can still use. Do you believe that? There's something in you that God can use. You have a voice that can be used in the choir. You have a method of teaching that can be used every day. You have a ministry of love and compassion. Second one, I be don't believe that I have experienced everything God has for me. God has something for you. Did you know that? He has something good for you. He has something that will change your life. Lastly, I'm going a little further, farther. We got into the discussion this week over further, farther. Okay, farther. We're going to journey a little bit, okay? Are you willing to do that this morning? Are you willing to take one more step towards the Father? Are you willing to surrender that in a powerful way? You may be in your own garden today, struggling. My... 
Scriptural advice is what? Surrender. Surrender. Give up. Quit fighting. Let God have his way in you. Shall we pray? Father God, we thank you for these moments together. We thank you for your scripture and for your word. We thank you for the time that you spend in the Garden of Gethsemane, wrestling with the things of this world, but surrendering. Father, there are men and women here today that need to surrender to you. You have called them. You have directed them. You have done everything but send them a letter. Lord, today may they step out. May they take James's hand and may they pray together and may they surrender themselves as never before. And may they commit from this moment forth, forth, this moment forward, to follow you. For this we ask in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, shall we pray. Amen.